You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. morning good 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 right on well i too wanted to just say thank you to all of us who uh went for a a walk yesterday it was thankfully not the coldest night of the year as blair already said but i am just um, astounded yeah that we raised as a church as all the you know whoever supported we raised over fifteen hundred dollars and I think, what, what did Streets Alive say? I think Ken Kissick, the director, said they raised so far about sixty-four, sixty-five thousand $65,000 towards Streets Alive. And so that is amazing. And, and definitely, it is a worthy cause. If you definitely want, you know, if you want to donate to Streets Alive, I would highly recommend it. They're doing really good things to help the homeless people here in Lethbridge. Um, yeah. So... We've arrived at chapter 15 of the the first letter to the Corinthian church. And uh, we're just about done with this letter. And I will say that it has been quite a ride. There's been some things, there's been some issues that we have talked about as we've uh, gone through it. And and I'll have to say, some of the the issues that we have talked about, um, they're they're not the the easiest things to, to bring up and to discuss. But... As a church, we believe that the Bible is all inspired, and it's all useful, and it's all good. And so as we've gone through it, well, if there's tough things to talk about, we do it anyways. And so we've talked about divisions in the church. Uh, We've talked about sexual sin in the church. We've talked about lawsuits in the church. Uh, We've talked about contentment with your relationship status and your social class in the church. We've talked about how people in the church should react to to meat and food sacrifice to idols. Uh, We've talked about head coverings in the church. We've talked about drunkenness in the church. Uh, We've talked about people in the church who who maybe needed a little bit more information about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how a church service, uh, what what Paul was instructing them so how they would know how it should look like. And all of these things, they were big issues. Right? The, this church in Corinth had some, had some fairly large things to take care of. And, and Paul, as their spiritual father, uh, he needed to address them very clearly so that this church would be able to know how to live faithfully to God, how to serve the Lord properly, and how to be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at the beginning of the letter, if you rewind your minds back to chapter 2, he reminds them how he came to them to proclaim the gospel to them, the good news to them. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2 2-5. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Your faith might rest on the power of God. 
The gospel that he told them when he arrived in Corinth was not one based on big words or, or uh, multiple catchphrases, you know, not, not based on tweets, but not based on smoke machines or anything like that, but it was completely grounded in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he reminds them, too, of their state that they were in before they received Christ. At the end of chapter 1 in in 1 Corinthians, he says this, Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Ouch. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world to things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That's kind of a rough thing to say to the church. Like, church, you weren't much to look at before Jesus came to you, before you got saved. Like, ugh. Think back to what you were. Think back to where you came from. But praise be to God that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit, transformed you into what you are today. That's what Paul is saying. And that's where Paul starts the letter, and then he comes full circle back around to it. After he gives them this this fatherly lecture, I would say, in course corrections about all the issues that they were facing together as a church, he comes back to the gospel message in chapter 15. And he wants to remind them, the Bible says, of the good news that he originally proclaimed to them. So let's read the, the first 12 verses of chapter 15 together because we need to be reminded of the truth. Just like that church needed to be reminded, we need to be reminded as well. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which also you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, Oh, some have died. <clears throat> then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. 
Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim and so you have come to believe. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? This is the word of the Lord. And I think that when Paul comes back to this point, to the good news here, it's to say to them, church, all these big issues I've just instructed you on, they're important. They're something that you need to work on. Please work on them. <laughs> Please change what you're doing. But let's get back to the most important thing here. The thing that started it all, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the verses we're looking at today, they don't just stand alone in Scripture. Uh, they don't stand alone as it's just like this brief topic here. It's a they are the beginning of a, of a big discussion that Paul has about resurrection. And that's why I read verse 12 this morning. Just, I wanted to leave you with a cliffhanger question that because it sets the stage for what is to come. Jesus was raised from the dead and that changes everything about our lives. In verses 1 to 11 though, Paul goes over the facts of the good news. This good news has changed the course of people's lives in Corinth. This good news was not something that Paul just made up, but it was something, in fact, that Paul had received from others and from the Lord, and it was true, and it could be proven by witnesses. And this good news had personally changed Paul's life. The good news of Jesus changes people's lives. Before they knew about Jesus, the, the people in Corinth weren't anything spectacular. But through the power of God, they received the good news that Paul had told them. They held on to it. They opened the gift of salvation, and now they were standing on it. And I find it fascinating that even in the midst of all the, the, the issues that Paul was instructing them to deal with, he still said to them, you are standing firm on the faith. It's interesting. I think that even as, um, I, I'm sure there's, there's no perfect church in the world. And so in, in spite of all the issues that, that we might experience as a church, or any church that you've visited or have gone to, they have issues. But we can still stand firm on the faith that is our foundation. They had made this truth of Jesus the foundation of their lives. And in fact, the good news is something that continues to change them. Paul writes that it is through the gospel that they are being saved continually. Not just the one-time event of salvation, but that the good news continues to save them throughout their lives. Well, what does this look like? Paul uses three words back in chapter 1 to describe what Jesus has become for us. He says that Jesus has become for us our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So let's, let's look at that. Jesus becomes our redemption. Jesus is the one who redeems us. He buys us back. From what? Well, as Peter explains in his letter, you know that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, 
but with the precious blood of Jesus. The precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. When Jesus physically died on the cross, the cost of our redemption was paid by his blood. When the church in Corinth received this message and accepted it, they were redeemed. They began to stand in assurance that they were saved from the futile ways and the punishment of death that went along with them. Jesus becomes our sanctification. It is through Jesus' power that the church continues to be made holy. Philippians 1.6 puts it this way, I am confident of this, that the one, Jesus, who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Christ Jesus. Completion. He will bring it to completion. Jesus continues to work in people's lives. He continues to work in my life, in your lives. It's like when, when people rescue birds caught in oil spills. All right? And I'm sure you've maybe seen some of these pictures Sad. They remove the bird, obviously, from the oil spill. All right? They remove the bird. They are out of immediate danger. And that's like us getting saved. Right? It's this one-time act removing us from danger. And that's our redemption. We are out of immediate danger. But then the birds are not just left to their own devices, right? They, to somehow clean themselves off. You know, they're not like a cat. They can't, you know, wipe themselves off. But people take care of them. They wash them off. They clean them up so that they can be clean. And that's like the process of us being saved. Of our sanctification. It's an act of God that he continually does in our lives to clean us. To shape us. To help us so that we can become more like Jesus. We can become more holy in all that we do. Jesus is our redemption, he is our sanctification, and he is our righteousness. It is through Jesus that we are made right with God. The righteousness that we possess, it's not our own. It is not something that we we have managed to achieve in our own strength. It is the gift of God through Jesus. Jesus gives us his righteousness, his right standing with God so that we too can continue to stand confidently before God, knowing that Jesus has made us righteous, that Jesus has taken away all of our sins. That is how we have been saved, and that is how we are being saved, and that we stand firmly in our faith. Paul doesn't stop there, though. He's reminded He's reminded the church of their position before God, but he wants to remind them again exactly of what the good news was. The good news of Jesus exactly was. And we find that, we find that message in verses 3 to 5 here. And, and it's interesting, as I was researching, I found that, that these verses are uh, what many scholars believe to be a very early uh, Christian church creed of the Christian faith. And a creed is a a statement of faith of what all people could agree on. You may have heard of things like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Uh, These verses 
probably came a lot before then. And I find this incredibly fascinating because let's just think about it. These verses, these words were a statement of faith that, that might have been said together as the whole church comes together, they would, they would say these things to confirm with one, another, with one another that this, yes, is what we believe. This is a statement that people would have gathered under. And this is the beliefs that all held together. And so I want, to do, I want, I want us to read this all together. Read these words and join with the early church in declaring our faith. So there they are. Let's read them together in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. This is what is is of first importance to Paul and to the church. He's repeating it to them so that they would hold firmly to it. And they would not be believing in vain or or believing something that doesn't produce a change in their life. We believe and we hold firmly to the faith that Jesus died for our sins. And that should make a difference in our lives. Like we were talking earlier, Jesus redeemed us from our futile ways our pointless, sin-filled ways of life. If Jesus died in order to pay the price to bring us out of sin, that should change the way we live our lives. Part of the good news of Jesus is the realization that we need someone to save us. We have to believe that we have sinned against God. We have done things, we have said things, we have thought things that go against God. And once we know that, once we admit that, we can go on to the next part, which is to accept that Jesus willingly died for us, died to take care of our sins, taking our place and taking away our sins. Jesus died for our sins. And we believe that Jesus was actually buried. This is important because it proves that he actually physically died. Like any sacrifice, Jesus actually had to die. Not just pretend to die or or faint, as some people were led to believe back in the day. He was buried because he was dead. Thankfully, the good news continues past this point. Right? Because if Jesus just died for our sins and then he was buried and forgotten there, this would, be, this would cease to be good news for us. Right? Jesus' death would be just like any other person dying for a cause. It would have a limited effect on a small group of people. But we believe and we know that Jesus was raised to life on the third day. We believe that Jesus physically came back to life And he appeared to over 500 people, it says, most of whom were still alive when Paul was writing this letter. Paul is listing all these different appearances so that if this church had any doubt or if anyone had any doubt, they could literally go and ask people 
They could go and talk to people that had witnessed Jesus' life after the crucifixion. And they would say, yes, I saw Jesus alive again. The fact that Jesus rose again means that the good news continues to be good news for us because the good shepherd is still alive. The good news of Jesus' resurrection for us is that Jesus is able to give us the Holy Spirit. If Jesus had not been raised to life again and then ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit would not have been able to come and dwell within us. And with this Spirit at work within us, Jesus gives us life. Paul says it this way when he wrote to the Roman church in Romans 8.11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through His Spirit that dwells in you. The resurrection of Jesus is good news because it gives us hope beyond our spiritual or our physical death. We have hope beyond our death. It gives us confidence that no matter what happens to us here on earth, no matter what pain or suffering or persecution we might go through, we have something so much better to put our hope in. Peter writes about this in his first letter. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. While we are on earth, the resurrection gives us access to the Holy Spirit and to the power that gives us the ability to live holy, joy-filled lives in Christ. The resurrection gives us hope of a solid inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. We don't have to fear death anymore because we know with certainty, we know with certainty that we will have new life because Christ is alive again. This is amazing truth. And I hope and I pray that, that you will take this and meditate on these verses. But, but for me, with my practical brain this last week, I had, I had a lingering question as I prepared for today. And, and that simply was, how did, how did this good news play out in Paul's life? And then by extension, how can this good news play out in my life? Because I, I know that, that Paul says in verses 9 and 10, for I am the least of the apostles, unfilled, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That was his past life. But then he goes on to say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that was within me. So that's like a very short little biography of what Paul's life had been like. But I wanted some more information. And so God led me to 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. And I don't wanna, I'm not going to read everything, but I want to read you part of that passage. 
And I, and I trust that God will, t- will take the stuff that we've just talked about and he will, he will bring you to understanding about these verses as well. And so I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 all the way to 5 verse 10. I know it's a big chunk. It's the word of God. It's worth listening to. <laughs> this is Paul telling the church how the good news of Jesus has affected his life. But we have this treasure, the good news of Jesus, in clay jars, in our human bodies, which might not be too much to look at, that are breakable, that are temporary, so that it might be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, Paul says, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was being lived out in Paul's life. They were experiencing hard things, things that were not good, not pleasant, but they were willing to go through them to make the life of Jesus visible. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak. Because we know that the one who raised Jesus Christ from the de- will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us into His presence. And that's the hope that the resurrection gives us. And it's not just a fanciful, fleeting hope It's a hope that is a sure foundation. Yes, everything is for your sake. Everything that Paul and his friends have gone through is for the sake of the church. So that the grace, the good news of Jesus, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. They are being saved. They are walking in salvation every day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. You get that. This is the hope of the good news, that everything we go through here on earth is is like this slight momentary discomfort in comparison to what we will receive in glory. We can't yet see it, but we can have hope that it is actually there. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, 
And he's talking about the human body, which is temporary. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And this is the resurrection body that we have waiting for us. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden. We struggle at life. It's hard sometimes. Because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. We long for the inheritance, the one kept in heaven for us that God has promised us, and that Jesus' resurrection has prepared the way for us to receive. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And this is Paul's declaration that no matter what happens, no matter where we are or what we're going through, the good news of Jesus will sustain us and we will aim to live out our faith and to please our Master. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul's life was one that lived out the gospel of Jesus Christ in every way. As the good news of Jesus' death for our sins, his burial and resurrection changed your life. It should change your life. As I wrap up here, now is the time for action. Now is the time to receive the life-giving, life-changing good news of Jesus. Now is the time to recommit yourself to God's grace. Now is the time to confess your sins and to know that Jesus died for you and that he rose again to life to give you life. I want to challenge you. If God is poking you, if God is speaking to you in your heart, don't ignore him. Please, not today. I want you to do business with God. I want, you to, I, I want to talk to you. I want to pray with you. There's a prayer team that will be standing at the back, Sam and Mandy. They would love to pray with you. There's other people here that would love to pray with you and to, to talk about this more. So the band is going to come and do a song right now. And we're going to do communion afterwards that, after that one. But right now, take some time. Take a minute and search your heart. 
And if God is speaking to you, let's do something about it. All right? Faith is not just this passive thing. Faith is something that we have to act upon. So please listen to the Holy Spirit that is speaking in your life. So as I said, we're going to sing a song. And if this is something that, that God is, is saying to you, let's do it. Let's do this. Let's be serious with what God has given us. And let's commit or recommit our lives to being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ.